It's Friday, August 13th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The FDA is moving to authorize booster shots for those that are immunocompromised. This would be a shift in the American vaccination strategy as the Delta variant surges across the country and other countries have also approved boosters. Studies have shown that a third vaccine dose can trigger a more robust immune response than those with weaker immune systems. John Rockoff, health business editor at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Next, through its Artemis program, NASA was planning to send astronauts to the moon by 2024. According to a new report, that's not going to happen. Among other challenges, the spacesuits to be used to walk on the moon won't be ready until 2025. Even when they are completed, we will only have two flight-ready suits at a cost of over $1 billion. Christian Davenport, space reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for the latest NASA delays. Finally, an increase in requirements for proof of vaccination by schools, employers, and local governments is fueling a black market for fake vaccination cards. You can find fake vaccination certificates on social media or the dark web, but even digital systems are being fooled. J.D. Tuchili, contributing editor at Reason, joins us for more on fake vaccine cards. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. This is not about the durability of a good response to keep it up. These are for people who almost certainly did not get an adequate response to properly protect them in the first place. Joining us now is John Rockoff, health business editor at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, John. Thanks for having me on, Oscar. Wanted to talk about the move by the FDA. It looks like they're moving forward with the decision to authorize a booster shot for those that are immunocompromised for a while, we had been hearing that, you know, those that have had transplants, uh, certain cancer medications, people that take medications to suppress their immune system were not getting the full effects of the vaccine. They weren't developing antibodies as the general population was. So now we're seeing a move to provide booster shots for them, a, a move that other countries have already done as well. So, John, tell us a little bit more about this. That's right. I mean, the whole point of the vaccination campaign is to protect individuals and their friends and families and other folks against COVID-19, right? And the vaccines work by mobilizing your immune defenses against the coronavirus. But it turns out the vaccines don't work very well in people with weak immune systems. Even if they get the two doses of the Pfizer or the Moderna shots, they don't get the same level of protection a healthy person like you or I get. So a lot of doctors and public health experts and health authorities have been talking about whether we should give these folks with these weaker immune systems another dose to try and get them to the kind of protection that healthy folks get. And it's taken a while, but from what we are hearing, the FDA is expected to move soon to authorize this extra dose for these immunocompromised people. Tell me a little bit about some of the data that we've been seeing, because there have been some studies showing that, you know, some people aren't producing the antibodies, but then that third shot really does help kick their immune system into gear. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we can sort of assess how well the vaccines are protecting people by measuring the immune response to the vaccine. And one of the measures that we use is the level of antibodies and specifically neutralizing antibodies that get produced after you're vaccinated. 
I mean, the immune system is really complicated and it involves more than just the antibodies, but that's a pretty good indication of how well the vaccines work. And what studies have found is that the antibody levels generated by the two doses of these Pfizer and Moderna vaccines aren't as high in people who have weak immune systems as they are in people who are healthy and have healthy immune systems. And what some studies have shown, and what we had heard was the FDA was very keen on a study that Moderna did looking at what kind of impact a third dose of the Moderna vaccine had on immunocompromised people. What that and some other studies found was that if you give folks who have weak immune systems this third dose, they're actually getting much better antibody levels and therefore we think protection against severe COVID. And everybody wants that, especially for immunocompromised people, because they are especially vulnerable to severe COVID and to transmitting the disease to other folks, including household contacts. You mentioned that some of the studies that we're looking at were from Moderna. Do we know if if that's where the booster shots are going to be coming from, Pfizer and Moderna? You know, I know Johnson & Johnson has had their kind of whole other roller coaster going on with, mm-hmm. with, their, with their vaccine, but it seems like it's going to be these mRNA vaccines that are going to be providing the boosters. What we're hearing is that the agency would authorize giving a third dose of one of the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, or the uh, Moderna vaccine to folks. Now, Johnson & Johnson, unlike the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, is, is that's just one dose. And Johnson & Johnson is conducting a study to look at what kind of impact it would have on the antibody and other immune response levels if folks got a second dose. And Johnson & Johnson um, has indicated that they might have that data later this month. And all of this is, uh, you know, we're still waiting, too, for the FDA FDA to grant full approval to the Pfizer vaccine. You know, a lot of people have said that a lot of stuff is going to change. We'll see more mandates, things like that. And even for doctors uh, at that point, I know Pfizer and Moderna are are asking for booster shots for normal people as well. So things are going to start changing a lot on all of that front once we get full approval for these vaccines. That's right. Yeah, Oscar, you're totally right on something I wanted to mention is that this might be the start of some serious change in our vaccination strategy and how public health thinks about vaccination. At the start of this year, we were just thankful to have vaccines. And we thought if we could get people fully vaccinated, if folks could get the two doses of the messenger RNA vaccines or one dose of the J&J vaccine, that would hold us firm. And what this pandemic and the Delta variant in particular have shown is that It really isn't enough, especially because not enough people got vaccinated. And so we're seeing this shift now where we're contemplating adding on a booster shot, not just for immunocompromised people, but for perhaps for the broader population. And then we're looking at full approval of these vaccines, as opposed to just the authorization for emergency use, which is kind of a provisional designation. A lot of employers and the military have been waiting for a full approval before mandating vaccinations for their employees. So that could really have a big impact. And we could see a fairly serious change in how we approach vaccinations in a couple of weeks. John Rockoff, health business editor at The Wall Street Journal. 
thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. Take care. And what this report from the inspector general shows is that NASA has really struggled with these and uh, there could be a significant delay in their plans to get back to the moon just because of the spaces for themselves. Joining us now is Christian Davenport, space reporter at the Washington Post and author of The Space Barons. Thanks for joining us, Christian. Sure. Thanks for having me. NASA has a plan to get astronauts back to the moon by 2024. This is part of their Artemis program they've been working on for some time. It's been subject to all sorts of delays, but we just had a report come out and uh, one of the big delays that I guess they basically said it's not feasible now to get there by 2024 is the spacesuits that the astronauts need. It says that they're not going to be ready by, until 2025, a year later. So, Christian, tell us what we're seeing with all this. It's one of the most overlooked uh, parts of the program, right? When you think about going to the moon, you got to think about the rocket that's going to get get you there and uh, all the technical challenges of getting human beings off the surface of the Earth and all the way to the moon, some 240,000 miles away. You think about the spacecraft, you think about the landers and touching down, but overlooked are the spacesuits, which are vitally important because those spacesuits, just remember, think about uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the surface of the moon, those big bulky spacesuits that protect the astronauts against radiation. There's cooling, there's heating, there's communication. They're almost like mini spaceships of their own out there in space. Obviously, the astronauts on the International Space Station, when they go out on a spacewalk, wear them. And so they're really hard and they're really difficult. And what this report from the inspector general shows is that NASA has really struggled with these. And uh, there could be a significant delay in their plans to get back to the moon just because of the spacesuits themselves. So I have to ask the simple question, obviously, and, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit. Why can't we just use the old suits? It seems that they've hit their expiration dates. That's it. I mean, the, the suits that they had are now NASA says like 25 years past their expected lifetime. So it's long overdue that NASA get new upgraded spacesuits. And they do want to improve a lot of the technology, allow them to have much more mobility, particularly in sort of, you know, the torso and the the lower area. If you remember the NASA astronauts, they sort of bunny hopped on the lunar surface and it's really hard for them to kneel and to pick up a rock, for example. They want to make it much easier and then let the astronauts be much more mobile, have better communication system, have better life support system, even have, you know, sort of a Wi-Fi enabled spacesuit you know, just sort of a next generation spacesuit, that this is a, a new effort, Artemis, to go to the moon, to, you know, follow on to Apollo, and they want that sort of next generation spacesuit to go along with it, but it's been very difficult. And yeah, the billion dollars, that's a lot of research and development and testing out. It does produce some test garments, some test spacesuits, including one demonstration spacesuit uh, that would be flown to the International Space Station and then worn there, plus the two flight-ready suits that presumably would be used on the moon. One of the uh, things that I have to mention, because you can't really mention space without talking about Elon Musk and SpaceX right now. I think on Twitter, he chimed in, said, hey, if SpaceX needs to step in and make the suits, you know, we can do that. And SpaceX is they're the ones who right now are the, the they provide the ride for NASA's astronauts to the International Space Station. And SpaceX has done three human spaceflight missions for NASA, getting the astronauts there. The spacesuits that the astronauts wear inside of SpaceX's Dragon spacecraft, uh, NASA's design. Now, these are different spacesuits. I mean, you, you wouldn't go outside the spacecraft in these suits, but they are good for flight and they're, they're pressurized. So they at least have some experience 
in this realm. Um, you know, at this point, I don't think NASA is going to take Elon up on his offer. They've already spent hundreds of millions of dollars on their own program and are well underway. But then again, you never know. Elon may just go off and build his own spacesuit. So what does all this do to the Artemis program as a whole? Obviously, it's not good that the timetable is thrown off, but are there any other uh, things that can impact this negatively? I mean, I think NASA said themselves that a lot of this has to do with funding, obviously some pandemic bottlenecks, things like that. That's always a reason, but a lot of it has to do with funding. So delaying this a year, I mean, how much of it, uh, of an impact is this really? The fact of the matter is, I don't think anyone who is following this closely actually thought that NASA was going to ever meet its 2024 deadline to return astronauts to the surface of the moon. That was just really a goal they had, but, you know, it was aspirational. It was to give the program a sense of urgency. But in reality, no one thought they were ever going to be able to make it. And what the spacesuit, you know, these issues... It just sort of shows how difficult this is, how expensive it is, even though we had you know, done it before in the Apollo program in the 1960s. And it's yet another hurdle that NASA is going to have to overcome. I mean, they've had problems with their space launch system rocket. That's the massive rocket that would hoist the Orion spacecraft to lunar orbit. The Orion spacecraft has had problems. In April, talking about Elon Musk and SpaceX, NASA awarded SpaceX a $3 billion contract to build the spacecraft that would actually take the astronauts to and from the lunar surface that would get them down to the lunar surface. But Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin has filed a protest saying, oh, no, that contract was awarded in error and that held things up for many months. And so it's moving ahead, but it's moving ahead, you know, uh, you know, sort of in fits and starts. Yeah. And the spacesuits are just another example of that. Christian Davenport, space reporter at The Washington Post and author of The Space Barons. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. People posting pictures of their COVID uh, vaccine cards online uh, were finding that the scans are being grabbed, used to make forged um, cards, and then sold at the time for a fair amount of money. The price now is down as low as about 25 bucks, I understand. Joining us now is J.D. Tuchili, contributing editor at Reason. Thanks for joining us, J.D. My pleasure. I wanted to talk a little bit about the black market for COVID vaccination cards. We've kind of seen it coming for a long time. Uh, as we start to see more mandates and requirements be set in place, this is just going to be an area that's going to have so much more attention turned to it. But we already seen some warnings beforehand from the FBI that this would be going on. And I guess there had been some arrests already, too. But uh, J.D., tell us a little bit more about it. Anytime you acquire a, a document or a credential, especially one that people um, are resistant to, hesitant about in any way, they're going to try to find a way to game the system, either because they don't, in this case, want to be uh, vaccinated because they don't trust the vaccine, or simply because they uh, resent being told what to do. And we saw warnings as early as uh, February, if I remember right, from the FBI that people posting pictures of their COVID uh, vaccine cards online uh, were finding that the scans are being grabbed, used to make forged um, cards, and then sold at the time for a fair amount of money. The price now is down as low as about 25 bucks, I understand. Yeah, the AP did an investigation founding a, a lot of these vaccination certificates for sale across social media, dark websites, things like that. It seemed to be mostly college students for now. But as we kind of mentioned, if once more employers, the federal government, once more things are being mandated across the country, that could open up. 
Well, we started seeing the forgeries, um, you know, where the where the original mandates were. Uh, about 675 colleges, as of the last count by the Chronicle of Higher Education, were requiring proof of vaccination for they'd let students register for class. To the extent that there is a resistant population, and they're reasonably tech savvy people, they can find their way onto social media, they can find their way onto the dark web uh, using a Tor browser. Um, it was easy enough for college uh, students who didn't want to show uh, real cards to go and access them, you know, pay a little bit of money, um, or else make them. I mean, obviously, these right. cards aren't very high tech and find the sources to access forged cards. As the mandate spread, New York City, San Francisco, Philadelphia, but as employers impose them, you're going to see an expanded market and uh, more purchases by a wider uh, swath of the population of these forged cards. Let's talk about the cards themselves for a moment. As you mentioned, they're pretty easy to counterfeit. If you get a good printer, some good card stock and all, uh, you can do those pretty easily yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you scan these things on a flatbed scanner, uh, fiddle with them with a little photo editing software, and then uh, print it out and sign it again. Uh, I guess I just gave the keys of the kingdom away right there. <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, the cards are, are very easy to forge. So you've got some jurisdictions moving to these vaccine passports, digital passes. The problem being is most of us, at least some of these implementations, uh, the ones in the, some of the higher profile uh, places have been terrible. New York's Empire Pass, which was uh, implemented as an, as an implementation of IBM technology back in the spring, was uh, forged. Uh, you know, passes were created in about 11 minutes by um, opponents of that kind of digital pass technology because they opposed it because they think it's a violation of digital privacy because the Empire Pass taps into a state database. And then they, they were able to uh, game the system in a very few minutes. The New York City implementation of a digital pass apparently isn't much more than reinvented photo app. Somebody uploaded a barbecue menu to that and it accepted it as proof of vaccination. So, so far, these things aren't really batting uh, much above the average and you know, <laughs> relative to the original cards. Right. Uh, in that case, that was NBC News's Sirus Farvar. We've had him on the show before to talk about a, a range of other things. But you're right. On his Twitter, he showed how a barbecue menu was enough to get the clearance for it. So definitely need to uh, step up those systems there. But to your point, uh, all these mandates are really going to push more people to this type of black market thing instead of, as you mentioned, kind of this arm twisting into being forced into getting the vaccines instead of some of the other things. You know, incentives do work well. Sometimes people don't like them per se, but, uh, you know, incentives is another way to get people to be vaccinated more. Oh, absolutely so. You know, I think the first thing is that we have to accept that we're never going to get universal 100% vaccination. That's not a thing. So we have to persuade people. And there's a certain percentage of the population that hates being told what to do, even if they're willing to do what they're being told to do. So as soon as you mandate something, you alienate those people. You peel them off immediately. You know, the old saying, carrot better than the stick. I mean, it's if you if you persuade people, if you bribe them, if you give them incentives, you're almost certainly going to get higher uptake than if you threaten them and give them incentive to resist. Because uh, then they feel, they, well, honestly, they're going to feel like martyrs and they're going to feel uh, like there's some kind of a resistance if they dig in their heels or enter into the black market or forge the cards themselves. So I, I th really think that the better choice from the very beginning would have been incentives and persuasion, accepting that 100% uptake will never be achieved, and then just settling for a decent uptake and being happy with that. J.D. Tuchili, contributing editor at Reason. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.